Seconds or less podcast. This is a podcast about both the NBA generally and the Phoenix Suns specifically. My name is Max McCauley. I am one of your hosts. And as always, I am joined by the great David Nash. David, how are you doing? I'm good, Max. And uh, thanks to everyone tuning in again. Uh, If anyone's done all four podcasts up until now, we thank you very, very much for tuning in with us and uh hitting us up on Twitter, and subscribing. I feel like we might have some new listeners today because we're talking about someone that might draw some some interest, I would say. Yeah, and hopefully they uh, they don't mind some things that we've got to say. We're going to say a lot of good and a lot of bad because we're doing a full deep dive on presumptive number one overall pick, DeAndre Ayton. Not actual number one pick? Didn't that happen already? Presumpt- presumptive number one pick. Okay, I thought, I thought we already had his son's introduction presser. It really did kind of feel like it at points, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that he's hanging out with other players. We'll get into it, but yeah. <laughs> it kind of feels like he's already the pick, but we'll, we'll see. There's some other guys uh, in consideration. So yeah, we're going to really dive into DeAndre and That's going to be the focus. But we're also going to get into some of the other guys. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Muhammad Bamba, Marvin Bagley, uh, all worked out for the Suns as well. I'm, I'm missing one too, right? Who else? Uh, no, I'm, miss- no, I'm not missing anybody. Yeah, and Aiden, of course. Uh, and, I was and, thinking of Doncic, who didn't work out for them, but who are they are still considering. Correct. And and Young is, is rumored they can mm-hmm. fit it in their very busy schedule, which seems very odd, but... Yeah, um, they're very busy, no workout schedule. <laughs> exactly. Which, which you know, um, I'm just going to put out there may mean they're going to Slovenia. Or, 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 or to, Spain, Spain, right? to Spain, yeah. I should say. I've had the thought, I'm not going to lie, it's occurred to me. <laughs> Wish, wishful uh, thinking there, I think. It is wishful thinking. Uh, McD said they might just Skype with him, which uh, I don't think would be a great sign. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just got this image of like Dontich wearing no pants under the desk, Skyping with, with the Suns front office. <laughs> he just doesn't even care, he's like unshaven. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so yeah, we're going to talk about all those guys, mostly Aiden, but everybody, uh, and then as always, we'll finish up with the seven seconds or less segment where I will be peppering David with three questions for which he will have seven seconds to answer. I always get a little nervous about those. Sorry to jump in, but, uh, I, I can say a hundred percent, neither of us have told the other anything to do with the questions that we've had. So we are no, really we want, going on We're not fly. trying to make each other look good. We're not. Exactly. <laughs> in fact, in fact I'm trying to make you look bad. That's really the goal here. <laughs> uh, but okay, but before we get any of this stuff, we're going to uh, do the weekly segment, David's thing. It's Did You Know? It's a story of Sun's past. What do you got for us? This one was a tough one. Obviously, we're talking about Aiton for the pod and, and, a, and a couple of other number one picks, hopefully, um, or possible number one picks. So didn't really have too much historically to go off here. So um, I've drawn a long bow and 
with there's there being every chance that the Suns draft a player from either the Bahamas or Slovenia in this draft. I, I'm kind of using them as my um, my throwback here. So Max, did you mm-hmm. know there is currently one player from each of those countries in the NBA, and can you guess who they are? Well, I know one of them is Goran Dragic. Correct. That wasn't wasn't very difficult. Oh, you know what? Is Buddy healed from the Bahamas? Yeah, two from two. Okay. You, you're doing you go. pretty good with these. I'm I'm doing better when you're talking about recent history, not the 1970s. I was saying. Yeah. So if we go back a little further, there's uh there's been a few Uh-oh. few NBA players. I'm not going to test you on any of these. Don't worry. Uh, Rick Fox, Dexter Cambridge, Ian Lockhart, who actually played for the Suns, uh, Mikhail Thompson. Uh, another former number one pick, actually, which is interesting. Uh, all played in the NBA uh, from the Bahamas. Uh, there's a few more Slovenian players, uh, and I'm going to really mess some of these pronunciations up, but uh, <laughs> Juros Slokar, uh, Bostan okay. Nakbar, Sasha Vujicic, Beno, yes. Beno Udri, Remember um, how uh, Dragic and uh, Budovic used to have this like weird rivalry? <laughs> I do remember that. I think he was a little jealous of uh, Dragic becoming the number one Slovenian player, maybe. I always thought it made it over a woman or something. It seemed like it was really deep-seated. Ooh, drama. That's, th- that's pure rumor, by the way. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> uh, Primoz Brezak, who I've never heard of in my life. Uh, uh, Rash Onesterovic, who I have heard of. Remember him? Uh Anthony Randolph, but that's a little sketchy because I don't believe he was... He is Slovenian now. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, um, do him any disservice there, but I don't believe he was Slovenian when he played in the NBA. No, that's one of those things where you get your citizenship just so you could play on a national team. Essentially, yeah. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Marco Milic, who was a, a past Suns player, and also none other than Zoran Dragic, who was also a, a, a Suns <laughs> player for a fleeting minute. So I remember that. Yeah, we've got you know we've got three thousand nine hundred and twenty-five games in the NBA for Team Slovenia, and uh, two thousand and seventy-eight games in the NBA for Team Bahamas. Wow. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus a little more on one of those names that I mentioned from the Bahamas. Uh, Ian Lockhart is the only other player from the Bahamas who has played for the Phoenix Suns. He was a 6'8 power forward, played for Tennessee in the SEC for these full four years from 86. Uh, In his senior year, he averaged 13.1 points, 10.9 rebounds, 2.1 steals, and 1.2 assists. He uh, went undrafted after that year and and signed with the Suns in 1990. And he played Mm. two minutes total for the Suns <laughs> for four points. So Max, that's a uh, a per wow. 36 NBA career average of 72 points a game. So he's better than Devin Booker is what you're saying. He's better than DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker and Luka Doncic all put together, really. Wow. Okay. Uh, he briefly signed with the Cavs, but never played. And then interestingly moved to Puerto Rico to play basketball. And he actually played 15 seasons with seven teams right up until 2011. So I think that make him like maybe 43 years old when he retired. Huh. Um, he averaged 13.3 points, 10.9 rebounds, mm-hmm. 1.3 assists, and shot 39% from three, actually. So he pretty much replicated those college numbers in his uh, career in Puerto Rico, which is... Yeah, but he was doing it against grown men, David. Exactly. So he, he upped his game, but yeah, I was pretty impressed. I don't know if the, the Puerto Rican league's all that impressive, but um, you know, he, he carved out a career for himself and 
in that career, he played uh, most of his time with the Pirates of Quebradalia, as I'm going to say. Probably just absolutely butchered that. Um, They got a cool logo. You should go check it out on Google. It's a it's a it's a pirate. Uh, It's (laughs) it's pretty cool for a basketball team. I'm going to finish with, with a cool little thing that I uncovered here. So he retired in 2011. As I said, he didn't play much in that season, which is you know not surprising given he was like 43 or something like that. But do you have any idea who he might have played with in that season in 2011? Uh, and, it's, and It's so unnotable? Well, we're a, we're a Phoenix Suns podcast, so, uh, you know, have a think. 2011, Puerto Rico. Someone who uh, went on quite a journey before they made it to the Suns. Oh, man. I, don't, I have no idea. Who is it? One of my favorite Suns, PJ Tucker. Oh, cool. He played one season in Puerto Rico, bouncing around oh. uh, before heading back over to Europe and then eventually back to the NBA. And, That's really uh, cool. I'll end on this. There is a dunk on YouTube from PJ Tucker's time in Puerto Rico. Uh, I can't remember who it's over, but it is another ex-NBA player. And it's 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 quite the highlight, so go check that out hmm. uh, after you listen to this, guys. That was awesome. That was maybe my favorite one you've done yet. I hope I uh, can keep, keep on the up and up there. <laughs> well, you're doing a great job so far. Okay, should we do it? Should we get into DeAndre Ayton? I'm ready. Ready as I'll ever be. Okay, so we're going to start with what we love. Right, because I, I we're positive people. We want to we want to start with the optimism. Yeah, and and I'll start by saying that uh, I love DeAndre Ayton enough to have him very much a one B to Dontich's one A mm. on my big board. So I think I'll be playing, you know, maybe devil's advocate here. I know you've come around to him or a lot of aspects of his of his game too. So it'll be overly positive, but. So that's a recent change for you, right? Because you used to have, I believe, JJJ and Bombo ahead of him, right? Yeah, and, and it, it's definitely recent. It's definitely after, um, you know, I mentioned on my on my uh, on the last episode, I spent a lot of time overseas and on planes recently, so uh, a lot of film watching to pass the time. And uh, I'm just, you know, don't get me wrong, I still have question marks on Aiton like I do with, you know, every prospect in this draft. No one's perfect, but uh, picking at one, I, I, I wouldn't be comfortable taking Jaron Jackson or Mo Bumba mm-hmm. as much as I love both of those guys. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I'd be very confident in taking Aiton at one. Um, so confident that, you know, I'm not even listing him at two anymore. I'm listing him at 1B. All right. Well, let's get into why you have him at 1B. So... The number one thing I like about Aiden, I could even say love about Aiden, mm-hmm. is his potential, and it's not just potential, but it's mostly potential, to defend the perimeter. And he did it a decent amount in college. The reason why he has the potential to do it and why he's been able to do it is because he's, first of all, obviously incredibly athletic. Everyone knows that. Yep. But he also has really good feet, especially once he actually gets into his stance. I would say he has great feet. I'd go that far. Yes. When, when he's actually in his stance, which he's not always like in it, but when he is, that guy can really slide with wings. Yeah, I would say um, 
his mishaps or, or lapses on that are, are definitely more mental than physical, and, and that's been a big change for me. Um, yeah, they're all mental. <laughs> the the Buffalo game's obviously one that everyone loves to bring out, but the more you watch on Aiton, and you know, I'm willing to to admit that I've I've watched a hell of a lot more recently, and yeah, the the baptism by fire of of guarding the perimeter mostly in college it was something that he mentioned in his his son's workout press conference the other day and actually thanked Sean Miller for for letting him play out there because um you know he believes that it's prepared him a lot for you know switching on on defense in the NBA and um yeah I, I'm very very impressed with that aspect of his game and the reason why it's so important it's not just on its own like yeah it's great that he's able to do that or could potentially able to do that mm-hmm but the reason why it's so important is because it makes what is probably his greatest skill more more impactful, and that's his post offense. Because if he can if he can stay on the floor against most or all lineups in the NBA, particularly in the playoffs, yep, he can keep using that elite post offense to score efficiently. Because so look, so for example, look at a guy like Jonas Valanciunas. That guy is a really 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 good post scorer, right? Yeah. The problem is though, you can play him off the floor. He can't. He can't guard the perimeter. Yeah, and and there's there's plenty of other guys in the NBA like that, which is why we've kind of touched on this with Aiton quite a bit in the past. Yeah, Cantor. Um, there's a lot of guys like that, and that's what makes Aiton different, though, right? Is that he can not only be that elite post offense guy, he also can dictate matchups by being the guy who can stay on the floor against those small players. So you either you pick your poison, right? Either you have the small players out there who Aiton can still stay with, and he just completely punishes inside, mm-hmm. or you put in a big husking guy to guard Aiton, and then you don't, you don't have your small lineup anymore. Exactly. And let me ask you this, Max. I think we've kind of spoken about this in the past, but I think we agree mm-hmm. that, you know, whilst Aiton isn't a great weak side shot blocker or, or doesn't have great instincts, we've, you know, he still averaged two blocks a game in college. And um, for the most part, when guys, you know, come at him, whether it's at the rim or, or out, you know, a little bit deeper in the paint, He's he's pretty good at blocking shots when guys are just driving straight into him because he's just a massive human being. For the most part, a little later we get into the the question marks. I will push back on that a little bit. Okay, I'll I'll but, say it, save my point for for that discussion. Yeah, they, maybe we'll have a little argument then. But I will say, yeah, you're right. The, he is good at that. I mean, to a certain extent, it's just he's seven foot one with a seven five wingspan and it can jump forty inches in the air, like. That guy's going to be able to block shots. Exactly. So, yeah, let, let's talk about that in a minute. Okay, cool. Uh, so I'll move on to the number two thing that I like most about Aiton. It's a combination of, we've mentioned this before, but he has otherworldly hands. His hands are unbelievably good. He catches everything. Totally agree. Uh, so when you combine that with his absurd say, size vertical explosion combo... It makes him about as safe as a bet as you can possibly have to rebound and catch lobs. Yeah, I think, you know, rebounding is his most NBA-ready skill. You could chuck him out there tomorrow and, you know, he's going to gobble up 10 rebounds a game in the NBA. Um, There's a 0% chance that he doesn't, right? Exactly. He's going to be a good rebounder. Yeah, exactly. And he, you know, it it has led to, um, you know, maybe some weaknesses in his game that might come up in the NBA that I think he'll very quickly improve on, but, you know, he's not a great box-out guy. He kind of just, um, you know, high points balls both on the on the offensive end and the defensive end. But, yeah, he, he just gobbles up rebounds. Uh, he has very, very sure hands. 
um, and coupled with, and you, you know, this might be something you're going to mention in a bit, but, you know, couple that with just an extremely soft touch around the basket. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's rare to have a guy with, uh, you know, those kind of hands at that size. It's so rare. I, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to get, for people who haven't watched an aid, which if you're listening to this, you probably have, I'm trying to think of a comp of a big, maybe Clint Capella is the best comp for somebody who has that kind of hands at that size. Yeah, and I think um, we've we've certainly mentioned, or I've mentioned Capella before on Twitter as a bit of a comp, and um, you know, people don't like that um, because of, you know, it, it, it just winding him down to, to a rim runner, um type player on offense but you know to be perfectly honest i think that will be his role as a rookie in the nba mm-hmm, uh, right. he will obviously develop more as he um you know learns the nba game and 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 kind of adds some more strings to his low post game and such but you know as a rookie probably starting for the suns uh he's gonna be a rim runner probably ca- catching <laughs> lobs they're not gonna run too many plays for yeah. him um but yeah i think Comp wise with his hands, um, you know, he I think he has touch like Demarcus Cousins. I don't think he's you know all that similar of a, similar of a player to Demarcus, but uh, he, his touch reminds me of Demarcus around the rim. Um, you know, and you know those multiple repeat efforts, um, grabbing his own misses and things like that. I uh, that's something that I absolutely love about Boogie. Yeah. His motor's very good when it, on the on the boards. It's fantastic on the boards. It, it's hard not to watch him play for Arizona and, and kind of just get hyped because the Suns haven't had a guy like that. Obviously, Chandler's a very good rebounder, but he doesn't have the offensive game of Aiton, so you don't often see him, mm-hmm. um, you know, catching his own misses and going back up and things. It's he's mainly just finishing other people's mistakes. Right. Um, I, I love that about Aiton, and I think that's something that the Suns have, you know essentially never had uh, because Stoudemire wasn't a great offensive rebounder. Um, no, he wasn't. Didn't And, and particularly <laughs> didn't have great, you know, second bounce jumps um, after his surgeries and things. So uh, definitely something that, that Suns fans won't be used to seeing um, and a reason to get really excited about DeAndre. Yeah, I think I tweeted, uh, Kellen Olsen apologized to me on Twitter when it became clear that the the DeAndre Ayton Circus was going on. Uh, and I was like, you know, it, it will be nice to finally have uh, on the court the most athletic and big guy for once for the Suns. <laughs> that never happened before. Exactly. And, you know, guys with far less talent still needed to be, you know, need to be guarded very closely um, when they're that athletic. So... You can see why Booker and Jackson and, and the like would be really excited to have a guy like DeAndre Ayton because that space is just going to open up, you know, almost almost on day one. Well, yeah, and if you're Booker, you lost probably an assist per game last year on, on Lynn and Chandler flubbing your lob, so you nice to have somebody actually going to finish them. Exactly, and, you know, Booker, particularly with the, the lefty scoop ones that he does, you know, he has a little mm-hmm. bit of work to do there, but, you know, with how much he improves as he improves his game in season and off season uh you know that might be a little tighter next season but uh deandre aiden's radius as people like to say is is a lot better than both len and chandler too so even oh my God, even those lobs that are a little far off or or a little poorly timed um you know booker might get a, a hell of a lot more assists on those too yeah i think kellen's response was to be nice for booker not to have to throw it into an exact point in the air <laughs> yeah to get a lob. exactly and and just to finish on that that's something that uh 
McDonough touched on in, I think, both of their press conferences, um, both, sorry, meaning uh, Bamba and Aiton, and maybe even Jackson, they are, when I caught up on that one. Um, you know, he talks about them being able to go above the square on the backboard and, and, and catch just mm-hmm. about anything. Yep. I think that's a huge part of what makes him appealing. Okay, let's go to number three. And this is going to be an interesting one because I think this is a, this is controversial okay. that I have this as a love. Yep. I it, it, I think his jumper is maybe the most interesting jumper that I've ever evaluated in my time being an amateur scout guy. Yep. It's... It's, it's, there's problems with it. The feet are awful. They're all over the place. He lands like he's doing the split sometimes. The feet's the first thing that I think every, I mean, it's definitely what I see and I'm sure. It's so obvious, right? Yeah, you can't miss it. It's, it's very wild. But at the same time, it's so natural to him to shoot. A lot of big men, when you watch them shoot, it, they look like big men shooting, right? They have, like, set shots, or they have something they clearly had to, like, work on figuring out how to do. Exactly. DeAndre Ayton shoots like a guard. He looks like a guard when he's shooting. He does. He does. I, I'm not that familiar with his kind of, um, you know, progression growing up, but he, he reminds right. me a, a lot of Anthony Davis in, in that respect of, mm. um, you know, a guy that's, you know, taken a huge growth spurt at somewhere along the way because... There's certain things that he does that you know seven foot one guys just shouldn't be able to do. I know. No, he's he's frequency coordinated. Yeah, and I know kind of, you know, late high school and college, he, he was definitely the big guy that he is now because he's had so much hype around him. There's something I kind right. of, you know, read recently that he's you know, as far as dealing with the pressure of being a number one pick, he's he's kind of made for it because he's been talked about as a number one pick since he was you know fourteen or fifteen years sure, old. Sure, sure. Yeah, I do wonder whether at at some point before a huge growth spurt, he he was a lot more, um, you know, guard heavy because you're right, he he just shoots, and and maybe to his detriment, uh, you know, probably one negative I have about him is he's he's too in love with the jumper sometimes. Oh, we're gonna get to that. <laughs> uh, but it's natural, as you say, yeah. as weird as it is, and and you don't mess with something that that goes in. I get, so I, I'm not sure also whether or not he uh, had the guard skill thing going on. I don't think so, just because I don't think he started playing basketball until he was older. Yeah, you're right. And you're right. also because he can't handle the ball at all, which we'll get to. I, he can handle yeah, a little bit, but yeah. I don't think he, he didn't have guard skills, I mean, really. Maybe that's what it, what it is, you know. Sometimes with these guys that, um, you know, start a little later, they're not ingrained with those, you know, big mm-hmm. men are only supposed to do these X, Y, and Z type things. So, right, right, yeah. Uh, you know, he just, he plays with freedom and he plays like he's been, you know, the most athletic, uh, most talented guy on the court for his entire career, which for the most part, he he has. So, a little more on the jumper. Because it's so natural to him. So, uh, right now, I don't think it looks very good to project to the NBA 3, as it is right now, because it's kind of flat. Uh, he shoots it from a really high point. Which I think is good, except for the fact that I think it, it it's not the kind of shot you can see going in from 26 feet. You know what I mean? Yep. But because it's so natural to him and it looks like he just taught himself how to shoot, is it unfair to assume that he might just be able to fix that on his own a little bit? Uh, not on well, his own, own right? obviously. He'll have coaching. Yeah, once, once you come into the NBA, you hope that your, your development staff, um, you know, help him work on things. Uh. At this stage, I think there's, you know, higher priorities for the coaches to 
focus mm-hmm. on if and when he becomes a Phoenix Sun, but um, it's definitely flat. It's definitely, uh, you know, he's not giving it the best chance of, of always going in, um, and that kind of goes back pre-Arizona days, yep. I believe. Um, you know, he doesn't, he's not the kind of guy that needs arc to, to shoot over guys because he's, he's going to be shooting over guys all mm-hmm. the time um, with, with how big he is, but uh, he could definitely give it more of a chance of, of going in, but... Uh, he has great touch, as we kind of spoke about before, and you know, for a, a guy with that much muscle and and you know that much of a giant frame, it's it's kind of weird looking at him, you know, stroke it's, jumpers. It's like so that. weird. And the, the comparison I'll make is, you know, how there's sort of a difference between natural shooters and like shot makers, sort of as among guards. Yep. DeAndre yep. is one of the few shot makers I've seen out of a center. Yeah, and I think you made a really good point before. Is like it. It, he's not the kind of guy that um, just shoots this set jumper because you know people have sagged off him his whole career. It, it looks very natural. You know, he even comes down as the trail guy and 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 walks into those mm-hmm. shots. It's not just a you know he's standing out on the perimeter, ends up with the ball and and shoots a set shot from three. Like he's he's very much in rhythm a lot of the time. And you know, other than the legs thing, yeah, right. <laughs> which you know might be. Might be another thing that they try and fix up a little bit. Yeah, it, it's a very natural thing for him, and but you know, hopefully not something he falls too in love right. with. Right. Yeah, we will get to that. Like I said, uh, and the last point I'll make is because I think he's such a natural shooter. I could see him. He can't do it yet because his handle's not good enough. But when he improves his handle, I could see him shooting off the dribble pretty pretty well. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of excited for his NBA career to to see. Um, you know what he might be able to do in those situations off the dribble and and uh, you know attacking guys if they do sag mm-hmm. off him. Um, people are going to be you know from day dot. People are going to be very worried about him attacking with in space mm-hmm. uh, using the spin moves that he has to you know essentially end end up right underneath the basket from the three point line in you know a matter of uh, seconds. So um, yeah, if it if it does translate early on, uh, his game's going to open right up and, and, and the Suns game is going to open right up too. Okay. I have one more like love thing for I'm going to get into the, the question marks, okay? Okay. He is an underrated passer. He makes some legitimately impressive passes out of double teams sometimes. I'm, I'm thinking of one in particular. Where I can't remember who it was against, but he was double teamed in the corner and he dribbles to his left side and sort of makes this jump skip pass to the opposite corner directly on target for a three. Yeah. Do you know what play I'm talking about? I do. That's not a normal pass. That's that's a pass that it takes a, a pretty a, it's an advanced pass is what I'm trying to say. It is, it is. And and this might be Yeah, it's it's funny how this pod is is gonna go, but this might be one of the things that we disagree on the okay. other way, maybe. I, I totally agree with the point. I think he's a, a a very skilled and very adept passer out of those uh, double team situations because I think he's obviously experienced it a lot in his mm-hmm. career and he has the height to to look over defenses and um you know I give him a lot of credit he makes the right pass nine times out of ten and um and really hits shooters in their pocket too which is you know when you when you've got all that pressure and and that many decisions to make that's kind of something that gets overlooked yep. sometimes but um yeah he's very very good 
at that part of his game. Yeah, and I, I don't want to only... overstate it. I, so I think it's what you're going to go into, but I don't. he's not an amazing passer. He's not anticipatory as a passer, so maybe that's what you're about to get into. Yeah, I would just sum it up as he is amazing in those situations. He is not amazing or, or not even close to amazing in a lot of other passing situations. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't round his passing game up as amazing if I, if that's kind of, um, you know, coming across the right yeah. way. But, uh, I think he, I think it's purely, and I think it's purely due to experience. I think he's been double and triple teamed his whole basketball life and he knows how to make that right pass. Mm. But if you then watch him pass on the move or, uh, hit moving teammates, it becomes uh, a lot more of a part of his game he needs to work on. Uh, I think he turns the ball over in a lot of those situations. I think, as I said, just to kind of harp on the point, very, very good at hitting open, spot-up shooters around the three-point line when he's being double-teamed. Um, but his passing skills in, in other situations um, kind of leave a little bit to be I think that's very fair. He yeah. Did- he doesn't make the right read is is the easiest right. way to sum it up. He he very often makes the incorrect read when it's moving parts around mm. him, which worries me a little bit about, you know, a motion style offense that that Eagle mm-hmm. might run because I think he's been very used to being the guy. So to maximize those skills, you really need to create a very specific system that almost results in him being double teamed a lot in the low post, which um, to put it frankly, is kind of not what I hope the Suns <laughs> are going to create as an offensive system, mm-hmm. even if they draft DeAndre Ayton, because I think there's you know much better, much more effective, much more interesting ways to use both his skills and the skills of guys that are you know currently in the court. I think it's fair to say though that we obviously have never seen him in anything even resembling Igor's system, so we don't totally know how to take to it. Yeah, 100% agree. You even said it was in Sean Miller's god-awful U of A system. I'm sorry. All these U of A fans love Sean Miller and at the same time are telling me how he ruined DeAndre Ayton. Basically, I just, I just don't understand it. Yeah, it is. It's a surprising take. Um, you know, the best kind of way that I've heard it summed up is that, and I think it's a quote from Sean Miller, is you know you can't make trades in the college season. Right. and um, you know, They played the way that they had to play for you know, the personnel that they had. And, you know, I think that's kind of used in a way to explain why DeAndre played so much at the four. Um, but, yeah, uh, when the when the head coach of a team's also kind of responsible for recruiting, it's there's a lot of excuses that <laughs> go true. around for the, the kind of circumstances for how Arizona ended up the way that they did. Yeah, well, I, I don't need to relitigate Arizona's season last year. <laughs> I, think, I think it went poorly enough for them. I think we have enough U of A fans that dislike some of our <laughs> earlier eight and takes, so let's not piss them off. That's even probably more. wise. All right. Well, actually, we're going to piss off a little more now because I'm going to go into the question marks now. <laughs> <laughs> let's do so it. This, do you have anything else you want to say on the, on the positives? Or no, I think you know you probably summed up the positives um, a lot. I, you know, probably all I'd extend on is you know I think the positives in Aiton's game that you know almost everybody agrees on. I'm I'm super excited about in Eagles system. Um, I think I'll probably get a chance to talk about a couple of more positives uh, in reaction to to maybe your negatives on Aiton. So let's let's. I go hope there. so. That'd be fun. Number one, 
I don't think he has good instincts on either side of the ball. Now, so defense has been well well covered. Everyone knows that he's not a rim protector by nature, right? It's going to be something he has to learn yep. how to do. Mm-hmm. I'm a little worried about his offensive instincts. I think he's very good once he gets down low. He's got an awesome post game. Everyone knows that. Very skilled, great touch, all that. When he yep. catches the ball at, like, free throw line extended or, you know, 19 feet, that's like that, it often looks to me like he doesn't know what to do. And what he just usually does is just settle for a jumper. I think that's fair. And it kind of, you know, links into what I was saying before about um, some of his passing mm-hmm. game and um, just things that he's not used to doing that are, that are going to come real quick in the NBA because he's no longer, um, you know, as big and as strong as everyone out on the court. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's and that. And so part of this is: do I do we do, can he not do it, or have we just not seen him do it yet? Um, yeah, I agree. Because there are flashes. Like uh, there were a couple of plays last season. There was one against I think it was against Texas A and M where he caught it at about the free throw line and did this nice like behind the back dribble to fake out his defender and got fouled. Like that's the kind of crap yep. I want to see from him. You know what I mean? He's got a great spin move too. I'll give him that. He has a great spin move. He but does. He does. so often he will either settle for a bad jumper, like I said, or he'll just, like, kind of, like, start pounding the ball a little bit, trying to get closer and, like, get kind of forced to the baseline and have nothing to do. Like, he doesn't have a great handle yet, and he doesn't seem super confident in himself when he's uh, catching the ball out there. Yep. Um, I, I agree. I'm going to counter with talking, you know, very specifically about next mm-hmm. year and talking very specifically about eagle and what i expect eagle to be implementing next year on both sides of the ball uh everyone probably listening to this knows my love of eagle uh so you know no surprise but i'm just gonna touch briefly on the defense Mm -hmm. first one thing that i did touch on 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 twitter with eagle is is the channel two pick and roll defense which i'm probably more positive than than you and, and a lot of others you know, with Aiton in that system, because some of the things that we've spoken about as being uh, Aiton's negatives in, in terms of shot blocking and, you know, overall defensive instincts, I think that defense makes things very easy for Aiton. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, essentially, pick and roll comes, the big drops back, uh, the guard fights through the screen, tries to, you know, kind of essentially channel the the point guard towards the big guy um and and eagle states in those videos you need a big guy who can move laterally and i think we all agree that ayton can do that in in most circumstances Mm -hmm. and and he's very good at doing that and he's very quick on his feet uh and you need a guy who can block shots now this is what we were kind of talking on at, at, at the start of the podcast i think Aiton is seen as a very explosive guy with you know with a great leap and and you know at least I believe it, a pretty good shot blocker when it comes to guys being funneled his way uh, where he really falls off his uh, his instincts to help and, and come over from the weak side so uh, with the pick and roll defense I expect the Suns to play if they draft someone like Aiton I'm, I'm actually very positive from that respect because as I said I think it makes it very easy for him and and really um, caters to his game on that end so uh yeah i'm i'm very positive on the defensive side of so things. this may lead pretty nicely into my next uh question mark which maybe you're not going to agree with 
Okay. I don't think, other than rebounding, I don't think he displays enough physicality on either end of the floor. Uh, we'll start with defense, as you just mentioned it. I agree with you that he's much better when he's when he has people funneled into him than he is when he has to make decisions. However, not just a few times I saw him get backed down by people he should not have been being backed down by. He just doesn't use his absurd size and length to impose at the rim nearly enough for my liking. I I see people so Buffalo. Everyone has the Buffalo game, but the Buffalo game does provide a pretty good example of. He, there's a couple plays there where he does an amazing job to stay with somebody in the perimeter all the way to the rim, and then just like lets the guy shoot to layup. Like he just let him, lets him lay the ball in. What, what is that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's there. It's there. You're, you're not making things up here. I think you know the the classic response to that is he didn't want to foul and he wanted to stay on. Yes, the court, I have heard which, that. Um, you know, it kind of ties into what we're talking about with with Sean Miller and some of the you know the defenses of his defense, so to speak. <laughs> um, However, there are some plays, as you point out, where it's just inexplicable. It's got nothing to do with him not wanting to foul because he, he doesn't even, you know, just uh, jump straight up and, um, you know, go vertical and, and make guys shoot over the top of him. So, yeah, it, 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 it's definitely an in, in instinctual thing. It's um, more than instincts, though. It's, it's, it's more problem. than instincts because I, I think it was the Colorado game. I, I can't remember exactly, but there's one game I was watching where there were like two consecutive possessions where dudes who were like six foot eight, six foot nine, just straight up backed Aiton down and shot over him by the at the rim, and just no resistance. Yeah, it, it's it's an alarming thing, and it's something that I kind of chuckled at um, in his press conference when he talked so much about being a competitive guy on both sides yeah. of the court because there was definitely <laughs> times um, where he didn't prove. Didn't that he in say the he season. wants to be Kevin Garnett? <laughs> He did, which you know, I I appreciate the uh, the ambition, but he's he's gonna have to bring it because he's he's talking the talk. Yeah, he ain't so, there yet. You know, maybe maybe he'll be one of those guys, uh, Ben Simmons type, who just goes up another notch as soon as he um, touches an NBA court. Uh, I can tell you right now, he'd want to because uh, some of the things that he said in that press conference, um, they're gonna be you know, very easy quotes to pull out if he doesn't bring it on the, in the NBA. Oh, that's not going to um, be fun. So, yeah, I, w- I will say that I'm, I'm very positive, positive on him as a defender in the NBA next year, purely uh, because of the system I expect the Suns to play and it, it, it um, you know, catering towards his strengths. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, Conversely, on the offensive end, some of those negatives that you have in his game, things that he really needs to work on, uh, I think it's something he'll be afforded the time to work on over time because, as I kind of touched on earlier in the pod, I, I really expect him to be you know, a heavy screener, mm-hmm. rim-to-rim type uh, role guy rather than uh, the Suns you know, changing their whole offense this summer to kind of uh, run through. We eight. should point so, out, though, that then this goes along with my physicality point. As of right now, he's a god-awful screener. At least he was in college. He is, uh, but again, uh, with some instruction and, and what's going to keep him on right. the court from from Igor and his staff, um, I think you know that there is a, a great deal of you know quick improvement to be done there in Aiton's game because how a guy that size and with those feet 
cannot be a good screener just makes no sense whatsoever. No, it doesn't. So right. if if he's if he's instructed very early about what's going to get him game time um, and keep him on the court, I think that's a very easy thing to fix. I also think it's worth noting that the Bigs coach, whose name is escaping me, his nickname. There you go. Uh, the nickname of Mister Nasty. Uh, I think that's you know obviously to work with guys that are currently on the roster, but I also think that there's a, a very high chance that's got to do with the fact that um, you know there's a ninety five percent chance at least a big is uh, drafted at right. number one. Uh, let alone probably I'd put it at a eighty five percent chance that big is Aiton right now. Uh, they could uh, Aiton could use some Mister Nasty in his game, so I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, and so just just to finish that point out a little bit, the physicality problem is not as bad on offense, but I do think it's still a thing. He needs he should mm-hmm. be trying to force the issue and get fouled more often because he's a really good free throw shooter. But too often he'll settle for either jumpers or for, if he's close to the basket, he'll settle for some hook shots that, while he has great touch, sometimes you'd rather just see him try to dunk on someone. Yeah, I I don't love his pop game. I don't love that he settles for those jumpers. Again, lots of people argue it was a space thing and there's going to be a lot more space in the NBA. Uh, Whilst I agree with that, um, I argue that it's more going to be a coaching thing. And again, if he has someone that's really hard on him, um, and you know, really only gives him minutes on the court if he does uh, very simple things on both offense and defense. Uh, I think you'll find that that has his game improve leaps and bounds very, very quickly next season. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism, even on these questions that I'm pointing out. The thing about DeAndre Ayton that separates him from most prospects is that he truly doesn't have any actual weaknesses that, that will haunt him forever, definitely, because he's such of freak package of, of, of physicality, uh, athleticism, size, that like he could, in the best-case scenario, just kind of be good at everything, you know? Yeah, and I think it's kind of an, a, a positive and a negative in his game. You know, I kind of tweeted after watching all the press conferences, there's, there's very specific things in all the other guys' games um, that can be picked right. out and that McDonough, McDonough did actually pick out in the press conferences. So, you know, went at length to say that JJJ was the the best shooter of the lot um, spoke at length about Bagley's energy and, and second bounce as a, as a rebounder uh, spoke about Bumba's overall defense, his shot blocking his, um you know, willingness to anchor a defense. And then when it came to Aiton's press conference, kind of just raved about, um, you know, how athletic he was and, and how much of a complete player he was that, uh, you know, despite having some holes in his game now, really has the scope to be a, a you know a truly com- complete player. And I think that's what puts him at the top of boards. And I also, it's, it's what, you know, makes him susceptible to, to some draft guys picking at his game a little bit because he doesn't have that one, um, you know, NBA elite skill right now. And I would say other probably, than the rebounding, right? Other than the rebounding, yeah. Well, I, I would say it's his NBA ready skill now. Whether it's elite or not, you probably want a guy to touch an NBA floor before <laughs> right, you right. go putting putting that tag on him. But um, you know, that's that's not an, an overly sexy elite no. skill to have as your your number one skill, which I think is what um, you know what haunts him a little bit when it comes to some you know very smart draft people that that pick at his game. But yeah, the the other the flip side of that is. Uh, it also makes him a very safe bet, and um, you know one reason why he's risen 
on on my board for sure. Yeah, me too. I think I think the lack of holes and and for me the biggest reason why he's risen is just the perimeter stuff. I, I I'm becoming more and more confident he's going to be a plus perimeter defender for a big. Yeah, which you just have to be, and and uh, for him to take another step, he needs to um, you know round out uh, the perimeter game on the other side of the ball and. Um, for him to be truly elite, you know, whether it's the shooting or the the attacking off the dribble, one of those things have to become, um, you know, a big part of his package going forward. Totally agree. I'm more focused on year one, and you know, I'm not looking too much forward with him. And uh, I think he's going to have a really simple role next year, uh, and and be made to look really really good by his coach. Uh, and and that I'm I'm very excited about. Me too. Yeah, I've gotten to the point where I'm excited about it now. Before I would have been sad. Now I'm happy, so that's good. Yeah, I don't know if that's all the points that you have on it. Uh, yeah, um, I think that is. You can go ahead and go through a few more out if you have more. We can move on. Well, I, I would just finish it off by saying, like, it's really hard, really fucking hard to to hate. I'm gonna his have to game. change the iTunes um, thing to explicit now. Thanks, David. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I, I was literally just gonna say the best thing about having your own podcast is you can choose if you want. We to can. I just have to change the label. Uh, Sorry about that. Um, it it sorry. It, it's really hard to hate him as a person. Like his press conference is extremely yeah. charismatic. He he had the whole room eating out of his palm. Well, they were um, they were there to eat out of his palm, but yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he didn't do anything to piss him off though. Uh, and you know he talks about his love for Phoenix and you know th- this franchise has been through so much in the last mm-hmm. few years. Like, how can you not love having a guy like that? I don't think Aiton will tweet, I don't want to be here, probably. I don't think he will either. Although, if you were put through what Bledsoe was put through, maybe that might change. But, yeah, uh, maybe. i got a soft spot for Bledsoe. I, I liked my time with him. I, I didn't like it towards the end. I didn't like some of the things he became as a player. But uh, What really happened there, this is an aside, but when Booker emerged is really when it went real sour with Bledsoe. Yeah, I think that's a pretty clear uh, kind of flag in, in the timeline. Uh, again, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> so let's let's move on, shall we? I think yeah, we've uh, we've done enough on eight. What we just we just um, like thirty plus minutes on eight, and so <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, uh, we won't get too much hate for that. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take over a little, and I mean, I kind of touched on it before. I think we can kind of both agree. Maybe it's an eighty five percent chance right now that that Aiton is is the number one pick for the yeah, Suns. Yeah, I think, think that seems about right to me. Uh, with like maybe a ten percent chance they trade the pick and do something else, and maybe like a five percent chance they actually just upright outright take Doncic or somebody else. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I mean, going through all the workouts that they've had for the number one pick and throwing Doncic in there, I don't think the Suns are gonna pick anyone else but Doncic at one. Agreed. Um So, as I said, I don't think they're gonna pick Bagley, Bumba, JJJ or Young, even if he comes in for a workout. Uh, one thing to note, I, I'm I'm fairly certain Bagley's number three on their board. Um, Interesting. You know, I've, I've heard things that kind of um, allude to that, uh, Dontich being, you know, number two or, or one, whichever way you want to put it. So with that in mind, I, I think it's a very, very um, slim possibility that Bagley is picked at one and, and therefore even slimmer that it's uh, Bumba or So JGJ. one thing with Bagley too is even if he were tied, or just in a hypothetical scenario with Aiton or Doncic at number one, you have to think that McDee would 
would lean away from taking him just because it would be giving up on either Bender or Chris almost certainly, right? Yeah, I think that was a really important note from from Bagley's press conference with McDonough at the start. Mm -hmm. Um, He kind of went at length on how Bagley is almost certainly a four in the NBA to start his career and maybe can slide up to the five in a few years' time. And um, yeah, I'm not sure that he's ready to give up on Bender or Chris just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, while they're on the roster, I think he'd happily include them in a trade that gets them a guy that he really wants. Right, right. Um, but I don't think he's going to create that kind of a logjam at the four, uh, particularly with the number one pick. Mm-hmm. So I guess if we run through... You know, we've essentially said there's maybe a 5% chance that Doncic is still the number one pick, um, and maybe we'll get a clue there with the team going over to see him once more or or something. Yeah, um, it'll matter to me if they go and see him or if they just Skype him. <laughs> that won't matter to me. Yeah. I, I do wonder, I've tweeted about this in the last couple of days, I, I do wonder, you know, what the, the public conversation would be like if, if Doncic is you know, raw numbers were a little bit more impressive. Mm -hmm. I think this kind of debate started out with everyone talking about Aiton being a, you know, surefire 20 and 10 guy. And, you know, it's not a perfect science, but, you know, if you take out the last 20 or so games of Dontich's season, which take him back towards the minutes that Aiton played in his entire college season, Mm -hmm. you know, around 1,200, and then if you kind of extrapolate that out to the 32 and a half minutes that Aiton played, um, Dontich's numbers are, are damn impressive. Like we're talking 20 points per game, uh, six assists, seven rebounds, uh, 45% from from two and, and 30% from three. So, you know, I, I do wonder if the, you know, the length of the season that he's played and also the, the limit in minutes um, because he's, you know, playing a, a different style and also playing on a pro team that has, you know, a lot of other guys that can sub in for him. Yeah, well, and he also um, played all last summer in Euro uh, Eurobasket and played all the last year before that, too. Uh, the guy's been playing too much basketball. Yeah, and I, I think that's really admirable. He's signed to a pro team and he's he's doing um, what he should be doing. But mm-hmm. ironically, it's, it's hurting his stock. You know, I, I yep. kind of noted... Would the story be a little bit different if he just took his gold medal from Eurobasket, came over to the States, worked out, worked on his body, then only did, you know, workouts and interviews in his pre-draft process, said all the right things like Bumba says in his press conferences, you know, did one-on-zero workouts that, um, you know, only highlight the good parts in his game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, instead, he's he's out there on the court with the, the world watching and, and letting people pick apart his game while he, you know, wears down. So, yeah, it's very admirable. It might kill his draft stock. And, and that's kind of the, the question I wanted to to end on with Dontich is, you know, where could he possibly fall to, do you think? Especially if it's true that he's, um, you know, more concerned about fit and situation than the number that he, uh, that he goes at. I really, really think that Sacramento is going to take him at number two. I just really do. I, I don't buy all the stuff about him falling. I just I think it's all you know smoke. Okay. Uh, I especially don't buy that Sacramento's not interested in him. I know Sacramento's interested in him. It's just it's ridiculous. That that, that article was based on Vade not going to Europe because he had to attend his son's graduation. It was just absurd. Yeah. Uh, he, he was there like last week. Him and Vivek were. He was. Yeah. So yeah. I think the Kings are going to take him at two if we pass on him. I really do. I don't buy any of that. 
<laughs> I guess it's my answer. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and I'm kind of throwing a few seven seconds or less questions at you here almost. But um, moving on to, to Bagley, I, I, I didn't like, you know, his reaction to to the negativity towards Aiton in his press conference. Mm-hmm. You know, I think at first he tried to, you know, kind of just fob it off. Um, I probably, I don't know if that's... A, a term that that's the, our the that's US, our that's our weekly the US term. Listen. Yeah, sorry. Uh, sometimes I, I don't think about these things. Uh, but I guess to to translate, I didn't like you know he he tried to avoid the questions to start with, but then kind of got trapped into it later right. on in his press conference. Um, you know, my biggest note on him in his press conference is he's definitely the one with the biggest chip on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he understands that he's unlikely to go at the top pick and, and that's kind of motivation for him. If he turns that into motivation to becoming a really good NBA player, then then good on him. But um, yeah, I didn't love that negativity. To be um, fair to him though, he the dude got asked like what, three to four straight eight in questions to start his press conference. It's just This is true. This is true. It's a little disrespectful. Yeah. Um, so I think my question with him is, you know, is there any chance the Suns pick him, which we've kind of already answered. I don't think there's any chance they pick him at one. Uh, he's probably only chance is the, you know, 10, 10 or so percent we've placed on the Suns, maybe trading out of the number one spot. I don't and, think and they'd trade him. out for him either. I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I think it, I think it's pretty slim. Uh, other than the fact that I've heard that he's, he's kind of three on their board. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I'm surprised to hear that. Yeah, and I am too. I, I, you know, I'm not exactly a a well connected NBA insider, so <laughs> right. I, I would I wouldn't put too much into that. But I'll, I'll throw that little nugget of information out there for our listeners. Mm, there you go. You get some exclusives here on the podcast. Moving on to Bumba, I think uh, I think it's undoubtable that McD loves Bumba. Uh, I think it's really hard not to love uh, Mo Bumba. Um, I think. You know, comparing him to Aiton, you know, I kind of said this earlier. I, I definitely wouldn't take Bumba at one, but I, I love Bumba, um, you know, more than Aiton as a prospect overall in terms of what he could become in the NBA. Really? Um, I do, I do, and and that was a big reason why Bumba was higher on my early big board before I really delved into these guys. So uh, I Man, think I don't, I, I don't think, see that at all. I think his that Aiton ceiling is a lot higher. It's interesting. I think, you know, I think as as top level ninety nine percent ceiling, uh, if Bumba becomes a three point shooter um, who can guard in space, protect the rim at all costs, like a Rudy Gobert, like that's just extremely valuable in the NBA. Yeah, um, I think and... I was, I'm pretty low on him defending in space. I know he talks about he's going to work on it and he has decent feet, but there are just so many times he got blown by in college. Yeah, I mean, again, this kind of feeds into the how much did he want to be there sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, totally true. Um, yeah, and, and it, I, I have to, you know, I don't want U of A and Aiton fans coming at me, uh, you know, on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I've very clearly said that I have Aiton at, at 1B on my board, and that's because his floor is, um, you know, very high, I think. And, you know, what he's m- more than likely going to become in the NBA, you know, should put him with a very good chance to be the best player in this draft in 10 years' time. However, at absolute peak uh, value, and if if some things don't work out for Aiton and those same things really work out for Bumba, I could definitely see him being a better prospect in 10 years' time. Okay. 
Where do you think he where he goes? Do you you know? Do we agree that it's probably Dallas at five? Yes, my mock draft right now would be eight and one, Doncic two, JJJ three, uh, Bagley four, Bamba five. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I think it's hard to see him going to Memphis uh, and Atlanta probably too. So you know maybe other than some movement with trades and things, which I think all the top five teams would be very silly and and stupid to trade out of um, the top five. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think we can be pretty positive on Bumba going uh, at five to Dallas. It feels right. So I guess moving on to JJJ, he's the last one that came yeah. in for a son's workout. Uh, your man. I love Jaron Jackson Jr. That's my clear number two. It, yeah, almost a 1B, I would say. He's almost a 1B for me. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm very high on his kind of you know, uh, likely outcome in the NBA and his kind of top ceiling outcome. Um, it, it, it is dependent on him, you know, really a working on a few things and, and B a lot of the things that he did in college translating easy over to, um, the NBA, but kind of touching on the press conference again, which is kind of where I've been going with, with mm-hmm. looking at all these guys at McD sounded very, very confident that it, all of, you know, essentially all of those things were going to translate to he the NBA. He called him an elite room protector. He called him an elite room protector. He called him the best shooter right now out of all the guys that they've brought in. Right. Which he is, he, by the way, <laughs> if you just look at the numbers. Yeah, he, he totally is. I, I guess some people would say that, you know, small sample size or, you know, didn't sure, play as sure. heavy minutes as some of the other guys. But, yeah, McD sounded very confident on that. Um, it sounds like he shot the hell out of the ball at the workout. It does, which, you know, it's very easy to do when you're right, almost right. professional NBA player and doing a one-on-zero workout Definitely. against six-foot white assistant coaches. <laughs> um, but I think we can agree there's no chance that he's won. Uh, no, I don't think he's won. I think, but I do think... If they make a trade down to say three, that's the guy they might, they might be taking him or Bamba. Interesting, yeah. I mean, I think we probably agree that he fits quite well uh, with Atlanta. I think we touched on that in our first pod. Um, I've come around a little bit to your point of view of uh, the fit with him and uh, Collins together. Uh, well, it has think... a lot to do with how with how versatile he is because he can play in a yeah. lot of spots. I think, yeah, I think I wasn't giving him enough credit for how versatile he is. So uh, I'd love to see that. And uh, I'd be very surprised if he slides past three and and definitely very surprised if he slides past four. Yeah, me too. I'll be, Which basically, I'll be, I'll be screaming the TV for the Suns to move up if that happens. Yeah, it, it basically puts him out of reach for the Suns, I think, other than uh, trading back from the one. Right. Which, again, I guess I'll end on that uh, with these you know, press conference nuggets, so mm-hmm. to speak. Uh, McD not ruling it out, definitely not ruling it out enough that we're giving it maybe a 10% chance of happening at this point in time. Yeah, so I think what that was really was him acknowledging the Boston trade. In fact, I think he even like, like ran down what the Boston trade was last year when he was talking about this. So He did, uh, yeah. Yeah, he can't preclude that because obviously if a team is going to offer an asset like that, he has to consider it. Of course, I don't think any of the teams in the top five have an asset like that. In fact, I know they don't. Uh, so I, I think it's very unlikely. The most interesting part of that comment to me actually was when he said that they would be comfortable picking lower than one. I think that said a lot about whether or not they've already decided on Aiton. I do think they're going to give it a full week process next week. 
uh, to really make sure that he's their guy. I do think they're leaving that way now, but I think they're going to give it a chance. Yeah, and I think a lot of this ex- exercise has kind of been about that. I think there was obviously a lot of media in terms of Aiton being mm-hmm. the pick. Guys like Gambo and, and Scott Bordeaux essentially said as much as you know a month ago. So, Gambo didn't just uh, essentially say as much. He said 100% on Lottery Night. <laughs> exactly, and and they might still be proven right. Uh, I think it's very likely that they are proven right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this whole week has been about um, kind of like they did with the coaching search, going, you know, okay, you may all think that we made up our mind, but we're going to go through a whole process that essentially shows that we looked at all of these guys in depth, spent the same amount of time with all of them, didn't give any priority treatment, and then mm-hmm. we still ended up with DeAndre Ayton. Right, which is what they kind of have to do. I mean, that kind of they, that's what they have to do. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, I think that, that wraps up our uh, top five prospect talk. Uh, let's move on to seven seconds or less. I think it's my turn this week to ask you some questions. I'm excited. Let's do it. Okay, so this week I'm doing some would-you-rathers is what these are going to be, okay? Okay. All right, first, would you rather come out of this draft with Aiton and Trey Young or Doncic slash some guy at 16? It's going to be really hard to wrap into seven seconds, but uh, it really <laughs> I'll, I'll give you an extension on this one. It depends on the cost for Young. Um Okay. I'm fine with Aiton and Young. Like I know it's a bit sketchy defensively and things, but if that's what the Suns go for, um, and it doesn't cost a hell of a lot, you know, i.e. maybe sixteen and and one other asset to get Young, uh, sure, let's do it. But well, so that doesn't answer the question though. It's the would you rather? I would do it over Dontich, Yes, and okay. that probably speaks a lot about how close I've gotten Aiton to Dontich these days. Right, he's your one B now. Yep. All right. Number two, would you rather? Would you rather come out of this draft with Doncic and Jaron Jackson or Carl Anthony Towns? That's easy for me. I'm going Doncic and Jaron Jackson. That okay. is like probably the juiciest outcome and one that I think is, you know, essentially impossible. So you know, whatever <laughs> it takes to, to do that over Towns, uh, I would do it in a heartbeat. Okay. I think I would, too. I mean, Dungeons and Jared Jackson, that's just... Oh, my God, that fit would be so great. They're probably um, my two, like, yeah, favorite kind of, you know, guys just as players in this draft. Yeah, they're both really fun. Okay, the last one. Would you rather come out of this draft with DeAndre Ayton or Markel Fultz and the number 10 pick? Ooh. You've really thrown something out there. Yeah, this is a wild card. Um, definitely DeAndre Ayton. Okay. Uh, I think there's far too many question marks around who you'd get at 10, and definitely a lot of question marks around what Fultz even is anymore. <laughs> Marco Fultz is just one giant question mark. He's a guy that lies on the ground shooting shots. Oh my apparently. God, did you watch that video? Oh, it's just, yeah. Poor guy. I really feel for the guy I do because he was, he was a hell of a prospect coming out of Washington. Incredible prospect. I was dying for the Suns to get him. Yep. Well, cool. I think that does it for the show. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Please, if you liked what you heard, rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us out. You can follow me on Twitter at MaxMCC11. You can follow David on Twitter at The Four Point Play. Thanks, David. 
Thanks, Max, and thanks for everyone uh, sticking with us for you know about an hour of talk. So appreciate it. Until next game, guys.